0: Part
1: of being better with our money, whether it's saving or spending or investing or how we plan for the future, depends on how we're able to manage our own tendencies. And in today's episode, our own money habits. Gretchen Rubin is an expert on helping you or helping us identify. And then she does this in four separate personality tendencies how we respond to our own expectations. And that's our either our own expectations from ourselves or the expectations externally from our family or work. And if we can learn. how to better manage ourselves we can apply it to our own finances and our own retire sooner journey in today's episode we also talk about money and happiness and gretchen rubin shares with us the one thing that you need to do when it comes to landing at the intersection of money and happiness i'm wes moss the prevailing thought in america is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Welcome to the Retire Sooner Podcast. It, it is a great honor to be able to interview Gretchen Rubin, who I know it was really it has been an inspiration. Gretchen is an expert on I would say getting better at executing on your habits. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well and,
0: said, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: By by having kind of a better understanding of a, what works for you. Yeah. And she's the author of Better Than Before, The Four Tendencies. Obviously, everybody knows the Happiness Project, her her show. Um the ha- happier it's happier with Gretchen Rubin, yeah, yeah. which I'm also a big fan of. And you know, she sold three, 4 million books. She, she's, she dominates what I would call. And I only know this from you, Gretchen is, <laughs> is creative nonfiction.
0: Ah, I love creative nonfiction. Yes.
1: I've never, I've never heard of that from anybody except for you. So I guess that's what I've been writing, I guess, in that same genre. It's like, it is it's it is, it's nonfiction, but it's, I guess it's creative. So I guess that's, that's what you do.
0: Right. As opposed to something like journalism or academic writing or legal writing or, yeah.
1: So, so if you can, the, because you're the the expert on understanding habits, I, I think I just wanted to start with, uh, and, I, and I'll, as an example, happy retirees, we've done a lot of research on this uh, in different surveys. They, they have 3.6 core pursuits, which are hobbies on steroids. The unhappy group has, Only 1.9 happy retirees take 2.4 vacations unhappy group takes 1.4. So we've got a lot of these different habits and I, I I wanted to ask you first, start with the main pillar of a lot of your work is these four tendencies. You have a book that's titled the four Tendencies. I love your quiz that, that I'll put, I'll link to, and I've taken the quiz. So maybe you can just start helping our audience understand, kind of understand themselves with these four tendencies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're exactly right. The four tendencies is something that could be enormously powerful in helping people understand how to set themselves up for success, because the kind of thing that would work for one retiree might not work for another retiree. But often we feel like, what's the best way? What's the right way? If it doesn't work for me, there's something wrong with me. Instead of saying like, oh, if this doesn't work for me, I've learned something. Now let me try a different way. Um, and so The Four Tendencies is meant to help you identify what's most likely to be, help you be successful instead of just throwing spaghetti against the wall, um, as we often do. So The Four Tendencies look at a narrow but very significant aspect of our nature, which is how we respond to expectations, which sounds super dry, but <laughs> ends up being really juicy and really helpful to know, both about yourself and, and also if you're dealing with other people because you understand how to work with them better.
1: Yeah, so how we respond to expectations. Yes, Okay. right.
0: So that's a little bit abstract. So think of it this way. We all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a neighbor, inner expectations like my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to spend more time fishing. Depending on how we respond to outer and inner expectations, whether we meet them or resist them, That's what makes us an upholder, a questioner, an obliger or rebel. Now I'm gonna explain them right now. And once you know them, they're super obvious. Like we could do the Game of Thrones characters. Uh, (laughs) They're very, they're not subtle. Um, but and so I think most listeners will know what they are and people in their life right away. There, but you mentioned there is a quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. It's a free quick quiz. Like three million people have taken that quiz. So if you like to like take a quiz and get an answer, you can take that quiz. By the
1: way, when I took your quiz, I kept saying I, I thought it was hard. Uh, I, I was like, gosh, see, I that don't...
0: gives me that gives me an insight into what I bet your tendency is. You yeah. Know? Well, got to, hold on to that. We'll keep it's a little teaser.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll let you. Okay, see we're guess. gonna have a reveal.
0: Okay. So, so. So it's how it's, it's upholders, questioners, and bludgers, rebels. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important or more important, which can kind of make themselves seem cold sometimes. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. They like to-do lists. They like schedules. They like to execute then there are questioners questioners question all expectations they'll do it if they think it makes sense they resist anything arbitrary ineffective unjustified they don't like a new year's resolution january 1st is an arbitrary date why wait for january 1st do it right now if it makes sense to me Mm -hmm. they tend to love research they tend to love customization because they want to make like the most justified efficient choice um so they're making everything an inner expectation if it meets their inner standard they'll do it no problem if Mm -hmm. it fails their inner standard they will push back so their motto is i'll comply if you convince me why
1: Mm -hmm. then there
0: are obligers
1: and by the way are those two of the bigger categories or are they they spread out no they're not i'll I'll
0: describe all four and then i'll tell you because you put your finger on something important so hold that thought okay Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, look, I know I'm happier when I exercise, and when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice, so why can't I go running now? Well, uh, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she showed up no problem. But when she's trying to go on her own without outer, outer accountability, she struggled. The key. The essential element for obligers is if they want to meet an inner expectation, they must have outer accountability. It is not self-care. It is not priorities. It's not putting yourself first. It's not getting clear on what you want. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise, work out with a trainer who's charging you, work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up, take your dog for a run who's going to be so disappointed if you can't go for his run. Think of your duty to be a role model, raise money for a charity, outer accountability. So, The motto of the obliger is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Okay. (laughs) And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They wanna do what they wanna do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. They want to put themselves and their identity out into the world. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically they don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't sign up for a 10 AM woodworking class on Saturday because they think, I don't know what I'm gonna feel like doing on Saturday. And just the idea that someone's expecting me to show up is gonna bug me. So their motto is you can't make me and neither can I. (laughs) Um, So to your point about how big are the tendencies, the biggest tendency for both men and women is obliger. Hmm. You either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your life. That's the biggest tendency. Then questioners, that's a big group of people, questioners plus obligers. Rebel is the smallest tendency. It's a conspicuous tendency, but it's a small tendency. And my tendency, the the upholder tendency, is only slightly larger. And these are kind of the two extreme types. I remember saying to him, when I finally like finalized this framework, I went running to my husband and I said, I just figured out that I'm part of this kind of like fringe, extreme personality type. And he was like, you think? Because <laughs> he was not surprised. Um, so I'm an upholder. What are you?
1: Well, I was going to say, if you, if you want to, do you want to guess what I am, what I would be?
0: Can I ask you a few questions? Yeah. Go ahead. How do you feel about New Year's resolutions?
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess to some extent I do make them, but I also will just make resolutions at any given time. Uh, if it makes sense, I guess I'm not like, it doesn't have to be January one for me.
0: Do you feel like you fit equally into all four tendencies? Can you see yourself in all the tendencies?
1: Mm, I, 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 I feel like yes, actually, that's why the quiz was so hard for me. Cause I was like, oh, is this one is that one. And, and our production team here actually kind of helped me with it. And in some cases are like, oh, well, if somebody tells you what to do, you definitely oh. don't want to do it. But. But, but then I was like, well, Well, what do they think you
0: are? What do you, what do they think you are? Often do people around us have a very good sense of what they think our tendency is. Like if you're, if I talk to work groups, it's funny because people will all start, will start laughing and pointing to somebody they know because they, they know.
1: Yeah. Is there, is there an inner either? Is there the, what is the one with the most inner, I guess, where
0: everybody faces outer and inner, no one can escape outer. It's how do you, do you meet an outer expectations pretty readily? or do you resist it until, so again, like, if you're a questioner, if I asked you to do something, your answer would be, why should I?
1: Yeah, I that's If you what were I a say, rebel
0: yeah. and I asked you to do something, you'd be like, you're not the boss of me. Okay. <laughs> if I'm an obliger and I ask you to do something, they'll be like, okay. And if I end up a polder, I'd be like, I'll do it, unless I have something that's already on my, on my books. In which case, yeah, I might have to tell you no, because yeah, your report is due tomorrow, but my report's due tomorrow too, so I'm afraid I can't help you. That's why polders can sometimes seem cold. That's why obligers really are the rock of the world. I've had people tell me they only want to hire obligers because Mm. obligers are the ones that are the most willing to help out. They're the type O. They're the ones who pair up the most easily with the other three tendencies. And really the downsides of the obliger tendency fall most heavily on obligers because they get frustrated when they're meeting everyone else's expectations, needs, demands, but they're having trouble keeping their promises to themselves. And that's why the, the understanding that outer accountability is the missing piece is so uh, powerful for obligers because a lot of times they haven't understood what piece they need to put into their system in order to allow them to keep their promises themselves and it's actually very straightforward there's a million ways to create outer accountability we're really good at that
1: so I'm constantly researching and doing re- different studies and reach in, and I'm in the investment industry, but I'm also researching happy retiree habits and early retiree habits. So I'm kind of always down that rabbit hole of finding out new things over and over and over again. So.
0: Well, see that goes to intellectual curiosity, which isn't really, isn't what this is looking for. There, are, there, are, there are many crackpot questioners. There are many highly intellectual research-based obligers it's like it's really like how do you respond to expectations so Mm. if i said to you hey do this the question is how would you respond to that so something like your your desire for adventure or whether you're extroverted or introverted how creative you are those are really kind of beyond they're sort of beside the point they're not they're not correlated with the tendencies
1: well i ended up as a questioner which
0: that because make... you said it, the quiz was really hard. That's yeah. what, that was my tip off. Cause that's that... often a, a questioner thing because they're like, I would act however made sense in a particular situation. Yeah. And that's yeah. how questioners approach the world.
1: All right. So how, how hardwired is this now? One and two, do we, can we change the tendencies or we just have to kind of understand that that's how we are and then manage the tendencies?
0: Well, those are true two, two super important questions One it's i'm a big believer in the genetic roots of personality and i really do believe that we Ooh. bring the tendencies into the world with us this is hardwired it's not a product of birth order or culture or or country or or, or you know anything like that this is something that you bring into the world However, your time, your culture, your experience is always gonna influence the way this comes out. You're a questioner. If you were a questioner in North Korea, you would learn to shut that down. If you're a questioner in Silicon (laughs) Valley, it could be your greatest asset. Um, And with time and experience, we learn how to harness the strengths of our tendencies and how to offset the, the weaknesses and limitations of our tendencies. So for instance, sometimes people will say to me, well, I used to be an obliger, but now I'm an upholder. And I think, hold on, let's look at your life. And what I see is that you've figured out, you've intuited, that you need outer accountability for anything that's important to you. And you've built that in so seamlessly that you don't even see that that theme that you've created all this outer accountability. So you feel like an upholder, which is great. You've given yourself the the accountability that you need. However, what can happen is some structure of accountability vanishes, and then the then the behavior may become a problem and you don't understand the crucial thing that's changed, so you're not able to easily fix it. Like my mother, who's an obliger, she exer- she went for a walk like every day practically for years because she would go on a walk with our neighbor then our neighbor moved away and my mother like didn't exercise again she stopped walking yeah because it was just and it wasn't like she was like now i'm going to stop walking and if i said to her i mean this was before i came up with the tendencies but if i said to her do you think that's crucial she would have been like no it just makes it more fun i like chatting like it's good to see this neighbor but actually that was the key thing Mm. and if she'd known that she could have easily replicated that in a, a myriad of ways but she didn't understand that that was the missing piece sometimes obligers will think oh i like social situations and introverted obligers will be like well i don't like the idea of more social in my life so i can't build outer accountability but there's so many ways to create outer accountability that don't involve social engagement social engagement is an important form and often an enjoyable form of accountability but it's not essential for building accountability.
1: So for instance, the, the 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 gym, let's say, that charges you if you don't show up for a class, that would yes. be somebody that would respond well to that would be what? And
0: okay, okay, so that's a, that's a great example because it gets in, you mentioned at the, at the top about how we all have to do things that are in a way that's right for us. And one of the things that's interesting about everyone is that people see things differently. So even with the obligers, if you say, okay, this will be really good for obligers. Some obligers arcs and uh, and people generally are very motivated by losing money. If they paid for it, they're going to go. And that's a great system of accountability. However, I've spoken to obligers who are almost like, they feel like it lets them off the hook. They've paid, right? I talked to somebody who's like, oh, I signed up to work out with a trainer because I thought it would be important accountability. But then I realized if I skip a session, he keeps the money and he gets the free time. And I was like, well, let me jump in and say, this is not working for you. So. Different people might need to experiment with different forms of accountability. For some people, something like an app sending a reminder would be enough. And other people, they're like, oh, I don't care about what some app says. That's not accountability. I need a different form of accountability.
1: So how do we think that that it's fascinating to me because so much of investing and planning for the future which is really the theme here retire sooner how how do we get to a point where we no longer financially have to work and we've got enough resources to do that so much of it is the emotional side and the psychological side and the behavioral side of 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 investing and growing uh, wealth and i guess the the reason i think your the tendencies to me are so fascinating is that it's an, it maybe it's another way for people to be better with money. So I guess I'm, I'm, I wanted to maybe yeah. shift towards how do you see these, you know, if you're a rebel and you're listening today or you're yeah. a, a yeah. an upholder and you're listening to the retire sooner podcast, what would be your, your weaknesses in when it comes to money or investing or spending anything in that category? Can you give our listeners some advice on that?
0: Well, upholders are easy. Basically, any tool works for upholders. They just need to have clarity on what they're expecting from themselves. So for them, it's like, give me the plan, mm. and I will execute on the plan. And the more specific, the better. Like, put it on the calendar. Like, have a dollar amount, target, that kind of thing. Upholders, they take well to have it for a nation. And this is the thing. Any kind of program, any curriculum, any any app, anything is going to work well for some people because basically anything like this works for upholders rebels are tricky hold
1: on hold on so so hold on so so if i get if, if i let's say sort of identify everybody i talk to as let's say an upholder i know that hey if we can get you a financial plan that's a 20-page plan it's a specific goal here it is do this they're yeah. going to be like all in all the time yes okay love that
0: that's the kind of thing that they're good at
1: Rebel, though, how do, you, well, how do you help a rebel?
0: That Now, the thing is, rebels are the most mis- misunderstood. They are the most different from the other three tendencies. And it's very, very helpful to know if you are a rebel or if you're dealing with a rebel, because what works for rebel is very different. So for instance, accountability is crucial for obligers. It's often counterproductive for rebels. They don't like people looking over their shoulders or telling them what to do and having people check in on them. And so that can actually ignite their spirit of resistance. What works for rebels, one thing is, identity this is who i am this is what i want what i and they love freedom choice opportunity um and so it's sort of like and they they hate being trapped or or constrained or told what to do Yeah, you know what? They're trying to lock you into years of work by tempting you with all these fancy packages and impulse purchases, but you're free from all that. They can't control you. You see a life of opportunity. You have choices you can't even imagine. And what's going to get you to that place of freedom? Financial security. What do you want to do? Build that financial security. Can they trick you? Can they tempt you? No, they can't because that's who you are. That's what you want. That's what you choose now if you're working with a rebel one thing that can happen is if you say you need to do this you should do this you have to do this you have to commit to this they're like no I don't so if you're dealing with a rebel one thing to remember is that you want to present yourself as someone who is helping to execute what the rebel wants if you want this this could be helpful if you want me to do this I'm happy to do this for you because I know this will help you I am the servant of what you want I'm not telling you what to do because that can ignite the spirit of resistance. Even if you're like, I'm just, you hired me. Like I'm doing this because this is what you want. It's like, ooh, you wanna think of the language that is not gonna make them that feeling like, I need the following documents from you by Friday. No. It's more
1: like, hey, if we wanna get this accomplished, it would be great if you could get me that.
0: If we could get this done by Q2, I think you'd see blah, blah, blah. You know, like, this is what you want. So also information, consequences, choice, Give them the information they need to make a, a you know, a, a smart decision, tell them the consequences of their action or inaction and then let them choose. So you can send a couple of emails saying like, you know, I have to have this information by, you know, if, if this is going to be filed in a timely way, I have to have this information, blah, blah, blah. Um, if we don't, the penalty is going to be 10%. Um, so uh, let me know if you need any kind of further assistance from me, like getting it, getting it all together information, consequences, choice. This is the information you need. This is the consequence of what happens. And then it's over to you. And you've got to make sure that you don't nag, you don't nudge, you don't remind too much. Now, in some situations, you want to send certain kind of like reminders or milestone things. But you want to make sure because a lot of times because we can so easily ignite the spirit of resistance in rebels, people who will have all the best intentions and love um, will actually impede the progress of rebels and make it hard for them. So like, I talked to somebody who was trying to help somebody get a job. Like, her, her, her boyfriend was coming to live with her, and so he needed a new job. And she was like, well, he's really not going about it. What can I do to help? Should I make a list of phone numbers? Should I post something on the fridge? Should I say, hey, today's a great day to call your Uncle Bob? <laughs> and I'm like, don't do anything. That guy knows he needs a job. And the more you remind him or nudge him or encourage him, you're going to, you could ignite that spirit of resistance. And he's like, I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it in my own way and slow him down. Often people around rebels make them slower at doing what they want to do because they ignite that spirit of resistance. This is easier said than done, mm-hmm. but it's very important to understand they don't want to be told what to do. And if you tell them what to do, um, you can you can really- uh, Impede the things. progress. You yeah. can impede the progress. So it's always, yeah. what do you want? What do you choose? Often they typically like, they don't like to be locked into plans. Like this is something that people around rebels be like, I know he loves this band. I think it'd be so fun to look forward to this concert. And yet like he keeps refusing to commit or like cancels at the last minute. I'm like, it's just rebel. It's not, it's not about your relationship. It's about the fact that rebels sometimes just like, they just hate that feeling of like being trapped into a calendar. Mm. Um, so a lot of it is like, hey, if you wanna hang out this weekend, I'm free. So let me know if that works for you. Or um, hey, I'm you know I know we've been trying to catch up. I'm around this afternoon, so if you see a good window, feel free to just pick up the phone and call. Rather than like, can we talk at three fifteen this afternoon?
1: Now, how about the again? We're talking money habits here. What about the obliger? Either from spending or investing, what does the obliger need? to be better at their mo- at a money habit, let's say.
0: Well, they need outer accountability. And so there's all kinds of ways that you could build outer accountability. Um, you know, part of it, you can build accountability through relationships. And so for, and I have to say, as an upholder, I don't think like this because I'm like, I do it because that's what I want to do for myself. But obliging yeah. is often helpful to think about things like, I want to set an example for my family and my friends about what, the, what this kind of behavior looks like. Or, I feel an obligation to my future self. Today, I don't feel like doing this, but I know that if I hit 65, I, I'm gonna be really, really disappointed with myself if I haven't done it, so I have a duty to my future self. Um, I have an obligation to the people around me to keep myself like healthy and solvent, and, and so I owe it to them. Um, uh, they may need to rely on me. I need to be prepared to, to pitch in if I need to, and that means that I need more of a cushion. Um, there can be, uh, you know, there can be kind of like accountability groups where, uh, like, let's all commit to doing this and, like, let's cheer each other on. And every Sunday night, we're going to text each other and be like, I did it or I didn't do it. Or, you know, and halfway through the week, we'll say, oh, I, I'm already done or I still got to get it done. That kind of thing can be helpful. I've heard of funny things where, like, um, one family did this thing where they printed out a picture of a summer house um, by the beach and put it on the fridge. And they were like, if everybody does their part, we're, you know, we're going to go, we'll go for a week to a summer house and if, you know, or whatever, or, or I heard about, this is funny. This is a woman who was studying for the bar exam and she said, and she put the summer house picture up. This seems to be a common theme. And she <laughs> said to everybody, if I pass the bar in the spring, we'll be able to go away for the summer. If I don't pass the bar, everybody's staying home this summer because I'm going to have to retake the bar and I'm going to be home studying. So, and everybody's like, all we want to do is help you pass the bar. Like please we're gonna, study, yeah. Please study. We'll do the dishes. We'll yeah. creep around. Like you know, because this is and so. But then she felt like, well, oh my gosh, I have to study hard. I really want to pass the bar because everybody's counting on me. Um, so like, inner and inner and
1: outer accountability are mostly outer.
0: It's totally outer. Oh, totally inner, outer. Look, yep, inner yep. accountability looks like this is really important to me. This is my, prior, this is my priority, that's, inner, that's meeting an inner expectation. So that's upholder or questioner, because that's mm-hmm. very powerful for both of them. This this, I've made up my mind, this is the way I'm gonna do it, and I'm just gonna meet that expectation. It's on the calendar, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I know that this is the best way for me to save money, I'm just gonna execute on this plan. I will say that for questioners, it's very important. Trusted authority is very important. They ha- One of their yep. questions is, why should I listen to you anyway? And they're not gonna listen to you or do what you say if they don't trust your authority. So it's very important to anyone who's trying to work with questioners to establish that authority. And to often, even if you don't wanna go through all the research and stuff yourself, you wanna say like, I could send you 10 links that will go through this in deeper and deeper. Or I could tell you a couple books that you could buy that will give you the framework that I think would be helpful, like information, research, authority, uh, you know, trust, Um, belief that this is the right way. Because often when questioners don't follow through, it's because they haven't really committed to a system. They don't really have that inner conviction that this is the best and right way for them. And they must have that inner conviction to make something an inner expectation, which will then be executed. Otherwise, they're just stuck in this place of like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, yeah, you gotta, you know, I'm from Missouri, right? This is the show me state. And questioners are kind of like the show me tendency. You gotta convince me. They're often told they ask too, they ask too many questions. That's a very, that's a thing questioners often complain about, say, yeah, people, and people I, say they ask too many questions.
1: And I may be guilty of that sometimes. And here I am questioning you and asking no, you about, no. about everything. The, this um, is a
0: superpower of questioners. They're the ones who save us all from wasting our time, energy on money, on kind of nonsense.
1: What about, so I'm always fascinated too. So we think about a huge part of the, the getting to retirement just in general in America, right? We all know the statistics, less than one in five people in America can continue to kind of have the same lifestyle once they stop working. So just to be in that group at 65, 66 is a big deal. The retire sooner group is trying to do that even earlier. And I I think I'm always fascinated about how many different ways people end up making a living. Yeah, you know, it's 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 always every time there's some real financial success story, it's always such a creative happenstance, and there's it's such a long journey which you've gone on, right? I mean, you weren't. I think I remember hearing you say it was at one point, happiness project. You you were an overnight success that took ten years.
0: Yes, yeah, it was my fourth uh, book, yeah.
1: Yeah. So me, I just maybe want to talk about career and income and maybe entrepreneurship. Yeah, do you, I, I guess you're, you think of yourself as a, you're a lawyer, but now you're an entrepreneur, right? I mean, that's how you.
0: Well, my, key, got, my, my core identity is as a writer, but I definitely, I started my career in law. Yeah. I was clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when I decided to be a writer, that was an abrupt shift. And yeah. I certainly have become like an authorpreneur um, because for people in the book industry, like the people in so many industries, like we need to diversify our ways of engaging with an audience. We need to diversify our sources of income. And it's just exciting because for the kind of thing I do, it's really exciting and creative to think about using new tools. So I definitely do think about that and and kind of think of uh, approach my work in the way that an entrepreneur does, yes.
1: How about your advice on, maybe your best career advice about, Mm when it comes to either career or money, or you're, maybe a responsibility if you're sharing, if, you, if you're in a working family where you and your spouse works? What's your advice well, you on somebody? It's, it's interesting career?
0: because having been a long student of happiness, I would say that money is one of the most complex and emotionally fraught areas. So you run into this every single day. It's not about the money. It's not about the facts. There's so much emotion. In each person, and then you create a couple, or you create a family, and you've got this like boinging around in like a, you know like bonkers way. So it is very complicated. Um, I think that when it comes to money, what is really helpful is clarity, uh, because a lot of times we're, our vision is clouded by what we don't know, what we're afraid to know, and 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 that just gets in the way of us making choices. And so as much as you can. and and there's all different kinds of strategies for that you might say okay i'm going to spend a half an hour on this every day because if i i could do anything for half an hour or maybe 15 minutes but i know that i'm going to let myself off the hook and if it takes a month so be it but i'm just going to like do it you know how do you what is it how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time Mm -hmm. um or maybe as an obliger it might help you to work with somebody like in a you know some kind of financial accountant or expert or advisor or coach or whatever Somebody who's going to say, "I need this, I need that," and kind of lead you through the process and hold you accountable for like certain kinds of certain kinds of information, hunting down certain kinds of things, and help you make sense of it. It can be really helpful to just try to be honest about what's going on, to reflect on your past and how you, you know certain things may be uh, resonating for you in a way that other people. It's sort of like you see this often with kind of ish, arguments about like frugality and and lavishness, where it's like one person's like you're you're spending so much, you're making me anxious and someone else is like, your frugality is making me feel like pinched and cramped and like mm. joyless. And so it's like, it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. We often like devolve into these arguments about why I'm right and you're wrong or like, let's look at the numbers. It's more about like, this is how I feel. This is how you feel. How do we create an environment where we can both feel comfortable? How do we think about this? I think so often it's just like, I wanna, I wanna convince other people that I'm right, but they're, they they wanna convince me that they're right. <laughs> so, and that can be very frustrating. That can become a big source of conflict on its own, which just adds to the complexity of the whole situation. So I think that can like, Trying to have a calm when you're having a difficult conversation. It research shows it often is helpful to hold hands, um, Mm. because it's easier to stay calm and connected to somebody if you're holding hands. So you could just like hold hands. Another thing, somebody just told me this. I think this is hilarious. I cannot wait to do it. Is if you want, if you find yourself yelling. It's flash your armpits. That it's very hard to yell and like flash your armpits at <laughs> somebody.
1: Plus, I'd start laughing. But that's the I'm thing. Using, you're just yeah. like you're like. What's <laughs> going on
0: here? I mean, I think it would it would kind of help you introduce like a moment of like levity and kind levity. of like yeah, kind of absurdity to the whole thing. So I think that's a great. I think that's a great solution. And, and often the obvious thing, like, don't do it late at night. Don't do it when you're hungry. Don't do it when you have to be someplace in 20 minutes. Don't do it in the car. Don't do it like, don't, you know, this is the classic thing that I do, which is like, it, like I work at home and like, I've got something on my mind and I want to cross it off my list. And the minute my husband walks in the door, I'm like, hey, we got to sit down to talk about this. And he's like, hey, I need to like, chill out for a second. You know, it's like, yeah. pick your moment. If you know it's going to be hard. Pick the right time because that can make it so much easier.
1: So money. So I I like this thought of uh, the happiness and money. The the kind of the intersection for you is clarity around. Around money and your and whatever that might be, d- d- depending upon what your tendency is, yeah. I think that that is a it's a really powerful statement. Is that everybody needs their own version of clarity, which is a really interesting thought, actually. Uh, and and I I think about the folks that the really the younger younger folks that I've worked with, and I say younger, and I say somebody in their forties that's that's really aiming to be able to retire at like fifty five, which is you know somewhat unheard of, right? Um, they want clarity of what do I need to do? What, what's the goal I need to get to? So I think that that's interesting. The clarity, I see that working. Oh, I th- and and I think it's also yeah. for
0: clarity. Like what's your situation now? Mm-hmm. Like how much, what are your assets? What are your debts? What oh, is, knowing
1: like, where you are as opposed yeah. to kind of ostrich head oh, in yeah, the sand. Yeah.
0: Because I think sometimes people are like, they don't even really know. And they may be comforted by finding out what they have or, or, but you know, probably more often people are comforted or, or not comforted. Uh, which is why they don't want to know sort of you have to have that starting place of like well, well what is my situation and given given my situation now what are the implications for the future that i want to attain
1: so just a little bit of financial planning goes such a long way yeah. i actually a research point i had is that happy retirees spend at least five hours a year doing some sort of financial planning unhappy are are significantly less than that and that's not a lot i mean at five yeah. hours a year is like nothing it's like yeah. one one or two hours on the weekend yes. every quarter yeah. let, oh, let me i just... have
0: a, I have a beautiful story like about that
1: yeah let so let me a hear friend it. of
0: mine ooh, who's a rebel and a big entrepreneur he like created this whole online business And he was telling me about a conversation, and it's all about finance, all about financial freedom kind of in a different way. And he was telling me a conversation he had with his father and his father was like a hardcore, true 70s hippie, like anti-consumerist, anti-materialist, like worked a bunch of odd jobs so he could travel, that kind of thing. Didn't really have a, really any kind of- Vagabonding, yeah. Kind of like, but in a mindful, joyful way. Um, And then uh, and then he was older and he was over at my friend's house and they were like sitting on the sofa watching TV. And my friend said just randomly, like I kind of just out of nowhere, he said to his father, who do you think thinks about money more? You or Warren Buffett? And his friend's father said in a second me, I spent my whole my whole life refusing to think about money. And now I can't think about anything else. It's all I think about
1: that's a powerful story yeah. because so he was really against worrying about it for all those years and now he that's it dominates his thought to your
0: point that's, right wow. exactly five years at 40 five hours at 40
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: gonna save it's gonna it's gonna could save, save you a
1: lifetime of worry
0: or not a lifetime but a, a like a lot of unpleasant intensity at the end wow. when it's kind of like You know, like you say, a little planning goes a long way. A little, you know, compound interest is powerful. But you, you, oh, one of my favorite phrases is the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Yeah. The best time to start a 529 is as soon as, you know, as soon as you can. The second best time is now. You know, a lot of these things, it's like there, there's the best time and then there's now. Um, And now is always the right time.
1: The, so let me ask you that you wrote an article that I loved about millennials and buying happiness. It was something like how millennials can buy happiness. And again, we know that we can't, money doesn't necessarily buy happiness. The, the research I have shows that at a certain point, there's a real plateau effect but we kind of need to get somewhere what what can millennials buy to increase their happiness i love this topic
0: well um yeah money can't buy happiness but it can buy many things that contribute mightily to happiness and as you mentioned and as your whole you know enterprise suggests like one of the most important things that money can buy is the freedom from worrying about money because money is like health. We are much more aware of them in the negative than in the positive. If you have your health, it's very hard to be grateful for your health, which is why why people constantly kind of have to remind themselves not to take health for granted. Same thing with money. If you're paying your bills without sweat, you don't think about how precious that is. When you don't have money, when you're scraping for money, when you're worried about money, you're very aware. So it's, it's much more present in the negative than in the positive. So not experiencing that negative is a big positive, but people kind of overlook it. Mm. Um, Then, uh, um, you know, uh, experience. It's interesting because a lot of times you'll see research saying, oh, experiences make make people happier than than possessions. But that's kind of like, I think a false distinction because often experiences imply possessions or possessions imply uh, 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 experiences. So like is having a fancy camera a possession or an experience? Is a dog a possession or an experience? Is a dining room table, that means that you can invite your friends over all the time for dinner. Is that a possession or an experience? So a lot of times, so you have to think about, is this a a possession that's gonna lead to happiness, engagement, fun with my friends, uh, health? Um, Or is this something, like if it's my 10th black cardigan, like that's not gonna move the needle. sure. and and it's different for different people because like let's say a like a really elaborate set of kitchen knives oh my gosh those things can cost a lot of money if you like are buying the really high-end stuff if i cook all the time if i love cooking if it's a big part of my life and it brings me tremendous joy a set of beautiful tools is such a joy and i might use Mm. those every day and love them i would feel proud and happy to see them on my counter they would just give me like a little a hits of joy every day If I'm just like, oh, I want to impress people who come over to my house, let me buy this fancy set of kitchen knives and put it in the corner, I'll never notice it again. I won't notice it, they won't notice it. They'll just sit there gathering dust. They're a possession, but in different people's hands, they have different values. And so you want to say, well, I don't want to buy this thing just because everybody I know has this thing or because other other people would be impressed by this thing. Um, Or maybe people tell me this thing is dumb to buy, but I know that I will truly enjoy it and get great pleasure out of it, and so I am going to buy it.
1: And then there's a lot of research that shows that there is a, there's a some sort of inflection point or some plateauing. We get to kind of a certain amount more money in the beginning, maybe does a lot of buys this comfort yep. a piece of mind, and then after a certain period of time, you know, two million versus five million, what's the difference, or five million versus ten? What did, what's your take on that?
0: I think the research because money buys freedom. Money buys choices, money buys flexibility, money buys support, money buys the ability to give and to support others and to, you know, nothing like money could make you 10 on a happiness scale all the time. That's not how human nature works. That's not possible. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't even be a good life. So it's not like, well, at some point they're gonna meet, like I'm gonna have enough money that I'm perfectly happy. That's not how human nature works. We all know that, right? But could it be that as you have more money, you're more able to be healthy, you're more able to provide, you're more able to have freedom, you're less. One thing that the research shows, I'm sure you know, is that one of the things people don't like to do and that makes them unhappy is boring, repetitive chores and commutes. They don't like having to like schlep their laundry to the laundromat and they don't like having to do a bad commute every day. So that's the kind of thing where it's not so much that there's money in your pocket, but you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not worried about the commute anymore because I have a difference. I could afford a really expensive apartment in the city, whatever. I don't want to make it sound like I think money is so important, but it is a- It An is- An
1: essential ingredient is it, what you're saying. It, it yeah. allows
0: you to make choices that support your happiness if you're wise. Now, if what you're spending your money on is drugs, and, you know, gambling yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know, like suing your neighbors because for fun, because you think it's hilarious or whatever, which some there's many cases of kind of like mischievous litigation because people just don't care. Or you just keep getting married and divorced because it doesn't matter to you, whatever. Mm-hmm. It can lead you in very, very negative directions if it's not spent wisely. So I would say money spent wisely can mm-hmm. be an important factor in happiness because spent wisely, it can help us achieve many of the things that bring happiness. Or like if I can, let's say I like I live in New York City, my parents live in Kansas City. I can go see them, not during COVID, but usually I could see them. If they had it if there was an important milestone, I could fly. My whole family could go for a visit. Like it's not like I only get to see them once every five years because I can't afford that flight. That matters to me. That matters to my happiness. And so being able to show up, being able to go to a college reunion, being able to throw a party. These things matter to happiness because they matter to relationships and relationships are probably the most important factor to happiness. And then there's there's relationships like our relationship to our community and to our society. If you felt like, oh, wow, I heard about this amazing food bank that's doing incredible work in my hometown. I wanna like write a big check and I can do that. That makes me so happy, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm supporting the people who are important to me because we we share that hometown. That's, that's important because it goes to relationships. It's not the fact of, Oh, my bank account. It's like, now I can do this. I can, ma- I can do something that, that I value that others will value because I value relationships and I value other people.
1: All right. Quick lightning round here for a couple of quick questions. Uh, the, let's start with the, I, I do always, here, here's a spending question. What is the best thing that you've ever, and I call this PPUs, which are price per use. Think oh, of, like,
0: oh, I know the, the answer. Uh,
1: what is your number one uh ppu of all time
0: uh it's a bandolier so this is a thing that allows you to have your phone it it, it's a phone case that has a strap around it so you can wear it around your neck and i travel well usually in in usual times i travel constantly and my huge fear was like i would leave my phone on the counter at the newsstand or i would leave it like on the seat beside me or i'd leave it leave it in a taxi or leave in my you know i wouldn't leave it in my hotel room i wouldn't be that dumb but um, or I'm like walking around my apartment, it's like this thing you could, do, or, or anytime like you're carrying a lot of bags or you need to keep checking your phone, like you're in an airport and you have to keep showing your boarding pass, whatever this thing, it's just around my neck. Now you have to be comfortable with the fact that you look like an idiot because you're wearing your phone <laughs> around your neck, but I'm, I'm comfortable with that bandolier. Everybody I know, I try to get them to get them. They're so amazing.
1: Number one PPU. All right. Yeah. So what do you, what do you splurge on Spending.
0: Because I, I, I really, really do love perfume and it's mm. ridiculously overpriced, <laughs> you know. Okay. I, do you have a
1: favorite or you have like a bunch of favorites? I have like
0: 11 favorites. It's very okay. hard to find. One thing that's good about my splurge is it's very hard to find a, a perfume that I love. And so I don't often get the opportunity to splurge, but if I find one that I love, I will buy it. Even if it's very expensive.
1: So core pursuits are just are my version of hobbies on steroids. They're very important to you. They're something. It's not like a once in a while thing. It's like my, my life is yes. this. Yeah. Uh, what is one core pursuit for you that you can't, you can't give up. If you Reading. had to give up every other one. Reading. Reading. Yeah. Number one core pursuit, best investment ever, worst investment ever.
0: I don't know. Okay. Markets Could be up, markets go down. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's true. No,
0: Best investment in my health. Oh, strength training. Strength I do, training. I, do okay. I do high intensity strength training. My whole family now my my in laws, my parents, my sister, my, like a hundred of my friends because it just totally changed my body. It does so much for my Both my children do it. I mean, so that's an investment in my health. And I'm not a big exercise. I like I go for walks, but I'm not like playing tennis or skiing or anything. So that's really important for me.
1: The on your uh, podcast, the happier with Gretchen Rubin. I love your little like the little happiers.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you like them.
1: There was one you did. I, I don't them. know. If, I don't I know if it was your them. daughter or somebody you were, at, you were saying, it was like, it was something about, again, you d- you mentioned relationships are kind of number one thing yes, in happiness, yes, which yes. is awesome. And it was something, some sort of counsel you gave her on just being sociable. It was like oh, some advice yes. on that. What was that? Can you so tell our my, audience about that? This
0: is when my daughter was very little and she wasn't very good about making conversation with uh, children she didn't know. And so my husband and I were sort of trying to coach her. And i said to her well you could say things like well what's your favorite color what's your favorite thing to do at school or what what movies do you like and she looked at me very skeptically, and she said i like it when other people say those things to me (laughs) i was like and we both were just like oh honey we like it when people say those things to us too that is a lot easier but we all we all have to try we all have to make the effort and i just thought that was so funny we talk about that all the time to this day it's like you got to ask her, what's your favorite color, you know?
1: All right, well, that'll be my last question. What's your favorite book that you've written?
0: That I've written? Mm-hmm. It's always the book that I'm writing now. I always think that's my favorite book. Right now I'm writing a book about the five senses and it's such a delight. It's so much fun. I love this more than anything. I, but I feel that way about every book.
1: So every one is just a special while you're doing it. While yeah. I'm
0: doing it, I just think it's never going to be this good again
1: gosh yeah i know that feeling i can tell you so and then will you come uh, be our i was going to ask you will you come be our in-house uh our in-house psychological money expert here it's what I want. It's really what I need you to do.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, my sister calls me a happiness bully, so maybe that that's a good, <laughs> good, good credential for that job.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the Retire sooner podcast, Gretchen Rubin, such a, uh, so, so cool to be able to talk with you and get your advice and particularly kind of your thoughts on money and early retirement and money and happiness. It's a real honor to have you on big no, Well, time.
0: thanks so much. I so enjoyed our conversation.
1: You can find Gretchen at GretchenRubin.com. All of her social media is on GretchenRubin.com and her Four Tendencies quiz, which over 3 million people have taken, the Four Tendencies quiz is right on GretchenRubin.com. And something new that Gretchen's offering is her SMS courses. And I I said, what is SMS? It's really these 30-day text courses where you're gonna text and do a variety of different courses that focus on relationships put together by Gretchen and her team.